This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Last night we began a study on godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. And I hope that uh, some of the things that we talked about last night uh, caused you to think. Caused you to think about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is something that we're all uh, fall under that umbrella. We're all guilty before Christ. And then after we are forgiven, we, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And we are free from that law of sin and death. Shame is something that we seem to carry with us all of our life. It's hard to get rid of those memories of those things that uh, we were guilty of and the life that we lived. I know that that is something that all of us face. And for the young people that are here this evening, you know, you have to be aware of that. The decisions that you make today, there's going to be an outcome tomorrow for those decisions. And that outcome oftentimes is not what you want it to be, especially if we are living in such a way that is contrary to what God demands and cries for us to live. Such a man was the case of the prodigal son that's found in Luke 15. I'm not going to talk on the prodigal son this evening, except in this vein uh, of understanding this guilt and understanding the shame that comes with it, but also understanding the forgiveness. But more importantly, for our thoughts this evening and for our brief study, I want you to think about the repentance that was involved. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Oftentimes, we don't understand repentance. We really don't. I don't think the world does. We're like that little boy that uh, said, uh, talked back to his mama. And she says, Johnny, I told you never to talk back to me. He said, I said I'm sorry. It's that type of reply. And we think that's repentance is, I said I was sorry. <laughs> and that's not repentance. We see repentance in action with an example of the prodigal son. This prodigal went to his father and he said, give me my inheritance. Give me what's coming to me. I want to treat you like you're dead. Now, I want every person to think about their parent this evening. My dad died in 1992. That's 30 years ago. And to think about, uh, I've lived with, you know, him being gone for 30 years, and he and I were extremely close. But to, while he was living, to go and say, I want to treat you like you're dead. Oh, you talk about a shameful incident and a terrible thing. So the prodigal was given his wish. And the father gives him of his inheritance. And the boy goes, and the meaning of prodigal is one who wastes, and that's exactly what he did. He went and he wasted his goods in riotous living, wine, women, and song. 
He lived the worldly life, and I want to tell you, while he was living this worldly life, and he found himself feeding the swine and wishing that he had something to eat, there was a sorrow that he had already experienced. And that sorrow would be what we would call worldly sorrow. And the way of the transgressor is hard. And for every young person here this evening, especially the young people, I want you to know there is a consequence for your actions. There is an outcome for your actions. And the way of the transgressor is hard. And this boy was not, he experienced a worldly joy for a brief moment. While he had money, while he had friends, but the worldly sorrow crept in and took away that worldly joy. And now he finds himself in the lowest point of his life, and that's where sin will always take you. It's been said that he went to the far country. That's what Jesus said. Well, the far country could be right down the road for you. It could be in your own home. The far country is anywhere where you're not in a relationship with Christ and you're not living with him and for him. And this boy went to that far country where he had distanced himself away from his father and then he finds himself in this shape. And he sits down among the pigs and he says, after he came to himself, Let's pause there a minute and think about that. Because I believe this is the first action of repentance. Before he ever made the first statement, the scripture says that he came to himself. Do you know what the opposite of coming to yourself is? We might say that a person that's irrational, we'd say he's beside himself. And that's what that means. It's right the opposite of being beside yourself or coming to yourself. Uh, you are beside yourself. And when we come to yourself, then you're thinking rationally. The first step in repentance we see in this young man is he started thinking appropriately. He changed his way of thinking. Now, what caused that change of, of his thinking? Well, I think there's a number of things that could do it. One thing is this godly Sorrow that he was beginning to understand, but the worldly sorrow had whipped him so bad. And it had whipped him and it beat him down to nothing. And he says, There's got to be more than this in life. What have I done? And his heart began to repent. And he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and perish, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. We see here godly sorrow being exhibited. I will go to my father. I've sinned against you. That's what we talked about last night with guilt. Our sin is not against people. They reap our sins. But we sin against God. He's the lawgiver. We transgress his law when we sin. This prodigal began to understand with his godly sorrow, I've sinned against my father. 
I've wanted to treat him like he's dead. Now I don't want to treat him that way anymore. The mind began to change. His thoughts began to change. And when they change, the first thing he says is, I will arise and go. These principles of repentance are expressed in the prodigal son. When our mind changes and the godly sorrow working repentance in our life, for whatever reason, whether it be the worldly sorrow that has caused all of the pain and suffering, nevertheless, an action begins to take place. And he goes to his father and he says, I am no worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Of all the things in this story that uh, rings a bell with me, I don't know about you, but it rings a bell with me and it just really makes me think uh, about the type of person I am. It's when the prodigal left, he said, give me. Give me. And a person that's not thinking rationally, that's the way they live. Give me. Give me. It's all about me. Give me. Give me of your inheritance. It's not my inheritance. Really, it's his. It's his goods. It's my inheritance. You know what I mean. Give me. Give me. And then when he goes back, he says, make me. A repentance will cause us to have a change of heart and a change of mind to where it's not about us, but it's about what God wants for us. And the changes that he can enact in our life. This prodigal repented of what he had done against his father. And we see a picture of repentance with this prodigal son. You and I need to understand the need of repentance. Repentance is a topic that is critical when we discuss salvation. We have a tendency to overlook repentance, I believe, and I really don't understand why. Maybe that's the ploy of Satan. Maybe it's because it demands something from us that we're not so willing to give. I'm not really sure. You decide that in your own life. Maybe it's because it's a difficult subject because of what repentance demands. And what it requires. But nevertheless, it is critical when we talk about salvation. Because without repentance, there is no salvation. And the scripture teaches that plainly. Repentance is vital to salvation. It's critical that we understand the nature of repentance. And how it plays into our lives. Let's discuss that this evening. And let's ask the question... Have we experienced true repentance? I have found so many people that came to an understanding in their life that they had not experienced true repentance. Examine in your life this evening. Have you experienced, have I experienced true repentance? So let's ask some questions at the beginning of our study. What is repentance first of all? What responsibility do we have to repentance? Is there a responsibility to repentance? And how do we repent scripturally? And then we want to look at a couple of examples of repentance. First of all, let's look at the command and the meaning of repentance. 
Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It is a command to repent. And he says this uh, repentance will result in our sins being blotted out. Without repentance, we cannot have salvation. What does repentance mean? The word comes from a Greek word that means to think differently. Or afterwards, that is to reconsider. Morally, to feel compunction. Repent. A change of mind. A change of heart. Whatever the way I was thinking, my, my thinking has changed. And without that change, salvation cannot occur. Repentance is an awakening, if you will. A transformation and the start of a change. In our first example this evening, we looked at the prodigal. And we see a beginning of a transformation in this boy. It was not completed until he had reunited with his father. It was re not complete until the father had uh, welcomed him back and called him a son. But yet the change of this young man began with him coming to himself and having a mind that changes in the way that he was thinking. No longer was this boy concerned about his friends making sure that they had enough to drink or to eat. Or what kind of party was he going to throw tomorrow? He was not concerned about that. He came to himself and he started thinking about his father. And that's what the beginning of repentance looks like. It's a change in action. In this change of action, oftentimes there comes a feeling of remorse. Repentance requires knowledge. Without knowledge, you can't repent. So in that, we have to note that repentance isn't something that just happens. This young man had a knowledge. He had a knowledge of what went on at his father's house. He had once been there. I think about the knowledge of so many people who grew up in the church and somehow they have found themselves away from God and away from the church. They still have that knowledge. But I also think about people that have no knowledge whatsoever of God. The person who's never read the scripture. The person who has no idea and their moral compass is, is spinning and they have no moral compass. How will they ever repent unless they're taught? How will they ever repent unless there is some knowledge of sin come into their life and say, hey, I have been going the wrong direction. I've been making decisions that have caused pain, not only for me, but for my family. And I have to have this knowledge, and you have to have this knowledge. It's not something that just happens. No wonder Jesus gives us such a great commission to go teach. Because in this teaching comes this knowledge. This knowledge that you are estranged from Christ. This knowledge that says my moral compass is not what God's is. It's different. And then we can start to begin to have a change of thinking. 
we must teach and we must be taught. One of the responsibilities to repentance is teaching. Now, I know and realize who I'm talking to tonight, people that have been in church their whole life for the most part. I understand that. And I understand that many of you repented a long time ago and that you left a way of life that uh, you're glad you left. And you're thankful for that. And you found a great deal of peace in this life that you're now living, walking with Christ. I understand that. But there is a responsibility that even comes to you and to me in your repentance that happened a long time ago. I believe that true repentance produces this feeling and this knowledge of responsibility. Why does the young boy that after he's obeyed the gospel suddenly want to teach? Why does he suddenly want to study the Bible when he didn't before? Why does the young girl suddenly start looking at her mother and seeing, my mother lived a godly life. And I need to tell other people about how my mother lived. It's because this knowledge produces this responsibility. And true repentance will cause us to want to let other people know. And when we see the sin and the sinful life that many people are living, maybe our own children or our grandchildren, deep down that responsibility is inside us because we repented a long time ago. And we have a need to tell them and to warn them. We have to be taught but we also have to teach. So tonight, as I was speaking to the church, the responsibility of repentance still continues in your life. The re responsibility that you accepted a long time ago when you obeyed the gospel and you changed your way of thinking, you still have a responsibility to other people and especially to your family especially those closest to you. Just because you have repented does not relinquish you of a responsibility. That is something that is continued. We also have to realize that we have to be taught. And that includes you and I who are in the process of eternal salvation, of walking in a sinful life that we still need to be taught. I don't know about, well, I do know about you, but I know certainly about me that uh, I have not arrived at perfection yet. <laughs> I'm in a process, and you are too, of this transformation. Just as the prodigal son began a transformation, so do you and I. And uh, though we are united in, with our Heavenly Father, we're still in a transformation to become more like Jesus. And from time to time, we have the responsibility of repentance ourselves. We have to teach and we have to be taught. Notice in Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is talking to the church. And he tells us, he says, I rebuke and chasten. Every parent that rebukes and chastens their child, if they do it with love, after the same manner that Jesus rebukes and chastens us, uh, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. A healthy rebuke is something to be cherished. Because a healthy rebuke is a rebuke that is given in love and a desire for your soul. If someone comes and rebukes you out of love, embrace that. Be thankful for it. You don't always have to be right. (laughs) Sometimes you can be wrong, and I can too. Be humble enough that you can accept this rebuke because the rebuke will cause you to repent. Jesus says those that he loves, he rebukes and chastens. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. All through our life, we have to make these changes of our mind because we are in the flesh. And carnality will come and it will impose itself upon us and we will end up going down a carnal path and then we have to make a change. Repentance is a a lifelong process for us. It's a constant changing of mindset, being redirected back to walk with the Lord. In order to be saved, however, in order to have your sins forgiven where you're free of this guilt, a godly sorrow has to occur where you realize, I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned against the maker of the universe. And I stand before him guilty and condemned. And I will change my way of living. And I will arise and I will go to my father. Repentance will always produce this action. We have a responsibility to repentance in the fact that we have to teach and we have to be taught. We have to understand that there is a great value in rebuke. Do not run away from rebuke. And do not run away to give a healthy, loving rebuke. I asked somebody the other day, what's the difference in child abuse and a spanking? The world can't see a lot of difference. Have you noticed how those lines have been blurred? And if you spank a child in public nowadays, you may be turned in to human services or something because people don't understand the difference between a spanking and child abuse. You and I understand it. uh, The correction that's needed for a child, and you do it with love. Abuse becomes a beating given out of hate. Let's not be afraid of the rebuke and let's not be afraid of receiving it and let's not be afraid of giving it. We need each other. I need you. I need you to love me enough to tell me when I'm wrong so I can repent. There's an incident and probably all of you are well familiar with it where David has taken Bathsheba 
And he has a good friend that comes to rebuke him, and his name is Jonathan. Or Nathan, excuse me. And the Lord said to Nathan unto David, sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Some of you may have a pet like that. I don't know. My, my daughter did. She had a little dog. We bought it for her when she was a senior in high school. And that little dog got a brain tumor and they had to put him down, put her down a few weeks ago. And I want to tell you something. That my daughter is still grieving over that dog. And maybe you can understand that. And you know, in this, in this story... We may look, well, that's just a sheep. But apparently David fully understood the value of that little lamb that grew up with his children, was a plaything of his child. And that lamb was fed at the table of that man. All of us who have had pets, we can somewhat understand that. Then Nathan continues to tell him, says that there came a traveler to the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it up for that man that was to come to him. When he says dressed it up, you know what he means, don't you? <laughs> he didn't put a he didn't put a, a garment on him. He killed it. That poor man's lamb and dressed it to eat. David listens to this story, and this is a rebuke, brethren. This is a rebuke. David yet has not understood. The rebuke. Be blessed and be happy when somebody loves you enough to come and approach you with this type of love. To chastise you to repent. David gets all wroth. And anger grew kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing will surely die. He was willing to kill that man because that man killed a lamb. But it's what that lamb meant. And then Nathan revealed to him, he said, Thou art the man. He'll restore this lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You've done this. I don't know if he said it like that. 
That's the way we think of a rebuke oftentimes is let's just get fierce and hard on them. I grew up listening to preachers that wanted to whip you. When you left, sometimes you felt whipped. Maybe sometimes we rebuke and say, you know, David, you're that man. And it's not pretty, David. It's not pretty what you've done. But you've taken a man's wife. And you, you've caused this, all these things. I don't really believe that David's friend really tried to beat him up. I think he loved him. I think he loved him to the point that he was willing to go and to help David see this so David could repent. And David did repent. He wet his couch with godly sorrow. He spent many hours in, in, in godly sorrow and repentance. And God tells us that David was a man after his own heart. God, David, God accepted David's sorrow and God accepted David's repentance. We need teaching. We need rebuke. The time is over, brethren, for us to think that we can go through our life and never tell someone that they're wrong and that they're in sin. We can't condone what people are doing no more than God can condone it. But on the other hand, I have to realize that I shouldn't be condoned either. And that I have to receive some rebuke. That I have to be told when I'm wrong. And be a, have this teaching where I can repent. Notice, if you will, another incident of teaching to bring forth repentance. This was not quite as successful, but we still see a method that the Apostle Paul employed to bring people to repentance. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul's walking up Mars Hill and he sees all these idols and he sees one that has an inscription to the unknown God. They wanted to make sure that they had covered all of the gods. I used to read this passage and misunderstand it. I think I have a better understanding of it now, but Paul was not really beating them down when he said what he said to them. And this knowledge that should come to you and to me and the knowledge that we would pass to other people should never be a beat-down scenario. Never. When Paul said, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious, he was actually complimenting them a bit. It was not something that they would take and, and see this as uh, uh, a disparaging remark to them. He was saying, oh, I see that you're also religious. <laughs> you're like me, you're religious. 
And he says, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I came upon an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Him, therefore, I declare unto you. Paul says, you're worshiping something you don't know. I know him. I'd like to share that with you. You know, oftentimes our teaching and our rebuke can be that simple. Not, not to the point that we want to beat somebody down with an argument and to show that we're the smartest person in the room. But I'd just like to share with you and I'd like to teach you about the Lord so you too can repent as I have repented this reading continues, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Now I want to tell you, if you heard this and you were at Mars Hill, it might be a shock to you, and it might be something that you'd never heard before, but if you didn't leave there scratching your head and thinking, something would be wrong with you because all they had ever known was a graven image. And something that they could see and touch. And Paul's saying, that's not God. That's not God. God's not worshipped this way. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth every, every man, man everywhere to repent. Excuse me. This is the strong rebuke. There comes a time that we have to use a strong rebuke. God at one time winked at this. He's not overlooking it anymore. The knowledge that you are receiving today is vital for you to repent, and he commands you to repent. What does he mean by this repentance? Stop doing that. Quit worshiping the idols. Start worshiping the true God. We have a responsibility to change. This is a hard topic. It's a hard topic because repentance requires change. And if change doesn't come, it's not true repentance. If we go and live in our old lifestyle, we haven't done anything. We haven't changed anything. And it's hard to teach and it's hard to receive because it requires change. Isaiah 1 verse 16 says, Wash you, make you clean. Put away evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. What's he telling them? He's saying, stop. <laughs> Quit living that way. Stop. We, we have become afraid to tell people to stop. And we'll say, you know, let's give them time. Let's, let them, let, let's ease with them, and they'll work their way out of this. And we'll, we'll be buddies with them. And I want you to be buddies with them. Don't misunderstand me. We'll be buddies with them, and we'll have this good fellowship together. And we will, we will go out, and we'll play golf together, and we'll do all those things. And then just by the association he has with me, <laughs> you'll change. Isn't that pretty presumptuous, really, when we become honest about it? 
We look at ourselves when we were a child. I'll tell you, I can't tell you the number of times that my daddy looked at me and pointed his finger at me and said, Mark, I mean for you to stop it and stop it now. And as we get older, we have this false freedom that we can do whatever we want to do and live any way we want to live. And the world is barking down our children's neck right now saying you have the right to live any way you want to live and do anything you want to live, anything you want to do. And nobody wants to say stop. But God says stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop living that way. What did the prodigal have to do? He had to stop. What would the, the people on, at Mars Hill have to do to come to God? They'd have to stop worshiping those idols and start worshiping the true God. That is a repentance. Learn to do well. I think that, that phrase is very important for us in learning this concept of repentance. I may not know how to do well. I, uh, uh, and grant you, many of us don't. But we can learn. But the process of repentance is not learning to do well first. Many people want to teach them to do well and then, get, and then stop the lifestyle. He says stop the lifestyle, then learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. The whole change, the whole mindset has changed here from a focus of inward focus to an outward focus of learning how to do well and then to helping people and loving your neighbor. Because after all, if you really don't love people, how can you love God? I think the scripture teaches that, doesn't it? Of course it does. Our responsibility isn't only teaching others to come to a place of repentance, but we have to repent ourselves. I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to stand up here and preach repentance to you, I have to be willing to repent too. Otherwise, I'm just a hypocrite. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. Notice what he says, confesseth and forsake. Repentance is making a change, a change of way you live. To stop doing evil, learn to do well. Not cover your sins. Let them be bared open before God now. It's much better to bear your sins to God now than to wait to the judgment seat where he will bear them open for everybody to see. Bear them open to him now. He sees them anyway. Be of the humble mind that you can be of the like the prodigal and you can be that person that says, I will arise and go to my father. If we don't change... We try to serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24 teaches us that we cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and despise the other. And that's what we see with a lot of people. And maybe you've experienced this in your life. You have that secret sin. And it could be anything. 
It might be a, it might be a spirit of covetousness. That's a big problem, which is idolatry, the Scripture teaches us. And I have this secret sin of covetousness. I like stuff. And I really don't want to stop liking stuff. Then I end up trying to serve stuff and serve God. And I can't. So we see this duplicitous lifestyle within so many people because true repentance has never occurred. If we hide our sins, we're trying to serve two masters and it's impossible to please God or have a happy life this way. An author that I read from time to time, he's an old author, uh, Clovis Chapel uh, lived in Middle Tennessee uh, back in the 30s or so. He's been long dead, but he made a statement that I've kind of cataloged for, my, for, one, for me. And he says, the man who tries to live in heaven with one foot and the other foot planted on earth is the most miserable man that ever lived. You can't live in both places. We have to live in one or the other. And to love two masters is impossible. Without confessing and without repenting of even our secret sins. I'll make a suggestion to you. As your repentance and your lifestyle of repentance uh, grows when you're praying to God and you're in your prayer closet confess the secret sins until they're made open until they're made public and furthermore if you have a spouse that does not know your secret sins there's nobody loves you like your wife or your husband nobody Nobody. And if you're a child and you have a secret sin, there's nobody loves you like your mom and your daddy. Nobody. They're for you. They want, they want the best for you. And the hardest thing for us to do oftentimes is to make a confession of that secret sin because that is so dear to us. That thing that haunts us but we love it. If we didn't love it, we wouldn't hold on to it. When you're praying to God, make confession of that. If you need to talk to your wife or your husband about that secret sin, talk to them. Make confession of it. Sin loses its power over you when light is shed upon it. Finally, we have a responsibility to change. Romans 12, verses 1 and 3 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, 
according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. We are to be transformed, and through repentance we make it possible for God to change us from the wrongs that we have so often embraced and the secret sins that have so easily beset us. It's easy to cloud our judgment on what is right and what's wrong if we're not of a sober mindset. To repent then is to humble yourself to be transformed. This evening, if you are here and you're subject to the gospel of Christ, God calls you to repentance. I don't think it is by chance that the first message that was given to the kingdom of God by John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the forerunner of the kingdom, was a message of repentance. I don't think that's by chance. And I think and I believe with all my heart except we change. And our change this evening may be one of saying I am giving it up. And I'm going to confess my sin and pray that God will forgive me my sin and he will. Have a change of mind. To lose that embrace with that sin. And allow God to start a process with you. Where the distance of that love that you have for that sin becomes further and further and further apart. And then the memory is only there. And we deal with the shame. And we deal with that all of our life. But God says my grace is sufficient for you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.